Our scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew chapter 2. Please turn there with me in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 2. you don't have your own Bible, our ushers have Bibles available. We read in the ESV, the English Standard Version, and so if you like that version, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you that you can use for the rest of our service this morning. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Reading Matthew chapter 2 in its entirety. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that what was written by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. May God give us understanding in the word that is read this morning as we preach through and our continued series in Matthew. If you would remain standing for a word of prayer after prayer, a choir comes with special music and then the preaching of God's word for this morning. So let's bow in prayer. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to come here today to worship, to hear your word, to sing praise to you, to give our offering to you, to be a testimony before you. And so, Lord, we pray that that truly might take place. Give us understanding. Open our ears to hear your word today. That it might indeed transform our lives, encourage us in our walk and in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you for each one here today. We pray for those who could not be here, those who are sick. Um, We think of Sister Bonnie, we pray that you would just continue to watch over her, bless her, strengthen, heal, allow her rehab to just continue so that her body is built up and that she can be with us again. We thank you for her husband, Bill. He's here today and he's been faithful. And we just pray, Lord, I know he's tired. Um, I know he has a lot of responsibilities with the care of his wife and continued to, uh, to earn the income that's needed. We also know he has challenges financially, Lord, because of that burden. And we pray that you would just open doors for him physically, open doors for him financially, continue to sustain him spiritually so that he continues to be a testimony for you and for your glory. Um, We ask your blessing on others who aren't feeling well today. And we just, uh, we think of Jackie Holt and... uh, how it's unusual for her not to be here today. So we just pray that you'll just continue to to strengthen, bless, and keep her. And for others, Lord, who are going through different procedures, operations, and all types of things, that you might be with your people. And whether we are in sickness or in health, that we might give a testimony of glorifying you. We know that it is not your will that all believers always be well or healthy or strong, or even living. Your own son was persecuted and put to death because of of who he is and because of his testimony. And so, Lord, we know some of the trials that we face are because of persecution. Some of the trials are simply the effects of sin on this life, and all people face that. And so we ask you to help us endure through the challenges. Um, Help us to endure, Lord, with the right attitude. I'm reminded of a a man yesterday in service who asked prayer for a minor physical ailment that he had, and he became mad because (laughs) he didn't get what he wanted. How simple, how, how unfaithful are we to think that we should always be doing well and not have to go through any challenges and that you ought to heal everything right now, here. You don't do that, but you do cause us to trust in you and depend on you. 
and to walk with you and in you and be a testimony of you. So we pray, Lord, you help us in that testimony to give glory to you in all that we do. Continue to bless your word as it goes out today, Lord. May you touch our hearts. Draw us to faithfulness in serving you. Draw us to Christ and trusting him and living for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Christ. How critical and how important it is for us to understand this story of Jesus because our very life is based on Jesus. So who is this Jesus? So in so many ways we see uh, in the early story of Jesus, we just simply see the story of his life. And so we see a child uh, who was born, who grows up, and we know what he's going to become when he grows up. Those of us who understand the gospel see that already. But Matthew is speaking uh, and to show us some of the things surrounding his early life so that we might see something. We might get a glimpse. And the thing that he wants us to see, let me just give you the spoiler alert right away. He wants to see God working behind the scene to bring about his promise that he promised in the Old Testament. So several times, even in this chapter, you're going to say, you're going to see the, the, the word that this was done to fulfill what God had promised or what God had said or what the prophets had spoken. And so that's the emphasis here that this Jesus is, is by God's work and by God's plan fulfilling or keeping God's promise to his people. How was that shown in his birth? We saw that last week, that his birth was a, a, a miracle birth. Never has been done like that and never will be done like that, where a child was born, not just without a, a physical father. Um, he was born because of the direct act or work of God to bring him into life. Here in chapter 2, it starts off, it says, now after Jesus was born, so this part is really not about his birth, but his early uh, life as an infant and as a child. And how does God interact in this? I've entitled this, The Intervening Work of God. God wants us to see that his hand is all over this, and this is his work and his doing, and nothing from the world, nothing from Satan is going to shake what God is doing. That's how secure our salvation is because our Savior is secure. It's God who promised him. You see, you, if you're trusting in Christ, you are secure not because of your strong faith. No, that's not it at all. You're secure because of who your faith is based on. It's based on what God has promised and what God has fulfilled, and you simply believe that. Let's look at Matthew 2. The first thing he wants us to know is something about the birthplace of Jesus. He says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We'd have to go to the other Gospels to, to, to understand how unusual that was for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. Mary isn't from Bethlehem. 
Joseph isn't from Bethlehem. You look at the Gospel of Luke and you realize that they have arrived at Bethlehem in Bethlehem because of some extenuating circumstances. The work of God. And the work of God through amazing ways. Through something that we wouldn't think of to be God's work. God worked through taxes. <laughs> you can read that story in Luke and you can see how the tax burden that brought them down uh, uh, to, to Bethlehem. And while they were there, she gave birth. But he was born in Bethlehem. What's significant about this Bethlehem? What time period? It says, in the days of Herod the king. And so everybody in that day could easily mark their history and their calendar by the, the king who reigned, or Herod the king, and during his reign. There were several Herods. This is Herod the Great, and we can see uh, that. We can see his, his, his reign and his period in history. And so Jesus is making a clear mark in history. This is not something imaginary, some story made up. This is verifiable, verifiable and Matthew is presenting uh, those truths. But here comes the wise men. In the birthplace of Jesus, it's interesting. What's going to be pointed out here is that Matthew isn't just presenting facts in, in his favor or facts according to his opinion. He shows a story that Herod found out that a king was going to be born. Now, this is disturbing to Herod because he wants to be king all by himself. He don't want any competition. He wants to destroy, literally destroy any competition. So his ears perk up when he hears these men come from afar into his kingdom and say, hey, there's another king coming. He's like, oh, yeah, really? Tell me more about this. And when it says he, he ascertains where this child was going to be born and about what time this child was going to be born. So you have... Uh, um, a, a, a wicked king who's trying to find out what's going, and he doesn't go to what we would know to be the followers of Christ or the disciples of Christ. Who does he go to? He goes to the chief priests and the scribes of his day. Now, you know throughout the gospel, these folks don't like Jesus at all. These are the ones who cried out for him to be crucified and eventually brought that about. They, couldn't, they didn't have the authority or the power to crucify him themselves, so they brought him to the authorities to bring false charges so that they could make that happen. In other words, we're getting the validation of where he was born and where he was to be born, as, as the Old Testament tells us, not from the followers of Christ, but from the enemies of Christ. You know, if you are at all going to make an argument against somebody, it's a very strong argument to use them as the proof, instead of what you say. So Herod goes to the scribes and the Pharisees and say, well, according to what you know, where's the child going to be born? And what do they say? <laughs> what do they say? It says in verse, where am I? Verse 3. 
in verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and ascertained or assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, where? In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And that's a key phrase. You underline that. For so it is written by the prophet. This is written in Micah 5, 2. It says this, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is God's word in the Old Testament, his promise to bring about a leader or the leader of his people. And this leader was to be born in Bethlehem. The scribes and the Pharisees know this. They go to the scriptures. So the, the foundation for, for what Matthew says comes from the very enemies of God who claim to know the scriptures, and they're correct, that this child was to be born in Bethlehem. So based on that, you could say, well, maybe they made it up and Herod didn't really believe it. No, he staked his whole kingdom on it. He summoned them and found out not just the, the place, but the time. What time is this child going to be born? And he sent them out to go search for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So we have this place. And the time is current because they've come and they've been following this star. I want to mention a couple of things in this chapter. First of all, we see um, this star. These wise men, we say, the magi come from the east and they follow this star. You know that's an unusual thing. Um, how can a star lead you to a specific location in a house? And some have questioned, well, this can't be possible because stars, first of all, don't move and stars, stars aren't that local. Maybe this is just something, uh, something else in the sky that points. It, you know what? It doesn't matter exactly what it is. What it is is God showing in a miraculous way, that this is the place. God is verifying from heaven and leading these men to show them where this place is. And they follow this star. In other words, God is doing something else miraculous to point people to where they can find this Jesus. So it says there in verse 2, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. In verse 9, it says this. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So they came to the very location of where this child was going to be. Well, I want to tell you something. That's better than our GPS today. <laughs> you see, how is this possible? You can continue to ask, and you'll ask that question if you simply don't believe in the power of God to do what he says he can do. He pointed specifically to the area that he wanted them to be, and they found there, they came there, and what did they find? Interesting. It says, verse 10, 
verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. I want you to notice in this chapter as well, every time it mentions Mary as the mother, it never mentions not once here or anywhere else, Joseph as the father. Now, we know the answer or the reason for that is back in chapter 1. We've been told the story, the background story of how God went about bringing about this birth in Mary who had no interaction with any physical interaction, any sexual interaction with a man, and yet God placed in her body the seed that would result in the birth of his son. But the Bible is consistent here. Is speaking of Mary as the child's mother in verse 11. And we'll see that later. Look at verse um, 13. Rise. Well, let me start at the beginning of the verse. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother. Mary and the mother, but never Joseph as the father. This is consistent. You'll see it other places in this chapter as well. The Bible is making a point. So here we see God's interaction with the wise men and the star uh, to lead them. Um, and then in verse 13, something else happens. Look with me at verse 13. Now when they had departed, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Last week we talked about how rare it was for angels to, to make themselves present on the scene in, in human history. And here we begin, again, we see another appearance of an angel. He's speaking to Joseph in a dream, but here is simply God communicating with Joseph to tell him what to do. And in a miraculous way, he is preserving this child. Let's look at what happens as we continue verse 13. Um, he says, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So what's unusual about this child's young upbringing is that a message from heaven, from an angel in a dream to Joseph, tells Joseph to, to, to get up and move out of Israel and, in fact, go to Egypt. How odd is that? That they would go from, East, from Israel to Egypt to flee, and, and this is a warning to, 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 to uh, uh, get Joseph and Mary out of there with the baby before uh, trouble comes, before Herod comes to destroy this child. And so Joseph does this in obedience. Verse 14, he rose, took the child and his mother, there it is, child and mother again, by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Key phrase, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Again, Old Testament is being fulfilled because this son, this savior that God was bringing to, 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 into the world was to come out of Egypt. What an odd statement. He's an Israelite. Why would he come out of Egypt? 
God is fulfilling again his promise. His promise is specific, and he wants us to know here in Matthew that all the specific details about the Christ in the Old Testament are fulfilled in this one Jesus that we see presented in the New Testament. Later on in the chapter, not only is he to come out of Egypt, he's to be born in Bethlehem to come out of Egypt, but to live in Nazareth. How is all of that possible? And how does that all reside on one human being? Someone who was born in Bethlehem, but he's actually from Nazareth, and he comes out of Egypt. How does that happen? You see, it's, 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 not, a, 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 it's not a coincidence. This is God showing the specifics of his plan and how it is all, attra- all uh, uh, combined in the person of Jesus Christ. It was a blessing listening in this morning on the Sunday school class as uh, Brian was speaking through 2 Corinthians. He was talking about the veil over uh, Israel's eyes and how they can't see Christ and they can't specifically can't see him in the Old Testament and how true that is. The, the Bible here is showing us that the Old Testament pointed to Christ in so many specific ways. And now by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the author Matthew is pointing it out to his Jewish audience. Look, this Jesus is the one of whom all this combines, and he's the only one that fulfills all of this. He came out of Egypt. He is from Nazareth, and yet he was born in Bethlehem. This is this Jesus. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. This is this Jesus fulfilled. Um, He's he's going out of his way, Matthew is, to show that he is the fulfillment of all of God's promise. Later on, we see in verse 16, Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men. He didn't get from them what he wanted. He thought they would spy, find out where the child was, and come back and tell him so that he can go and destroy the child. And so they didn't come back, and he began to wonder, what's going on? And so when they didn't come back, it says this. He became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So he figured out, and he gave the little cushion, and he said he, he, he issued the edict to kill all the children. Now, what's significant about this? Well, well, one, we see the wickedness of this king and how determined he was to kill this one who was to be born. He found out how important and how significant he was, and he he made every attempt he could, attempt he could to destroy him. But it also shows something else. It says in verse 17, this was fulfilled. This was fulfilled what was spoken, excuse me, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. In other words, another prophet, it seems like a random point being made, by the, but the scriptures all combining together to show that this is the Jesus that fulfills all the Old Testament. What is this uh, Jeremiah saying? He simply said, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. 
Rachel weeping for what? For her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. We can get the scene here. She's crying, and she will not be comforted because her children have been destroyed. How is this fulfilled? In this very passage, we see it. In fact, this passage was done to fulfill that about the life and the early life uh, of, of Jesus Christ himself. Herod would destroy all the children, and there will be a great lamentation throughout the land. And yet, Jesus himself was protected. God protects his own. When you look at the book of John, you'll realize that John the Baptist was just six months older than Jesus, and he himself had been protected, although we're not given the details of how that happened. But he would have been in that group of children born in that time, in that place, who would have been under threat. But God protected. Why does God protect? Why did God do this? Why are these miracle things happen all lining up in this life? Is because this Jesus is a fulfillment of God's promise, and God is absolutely going to keep his promise. Now, in verse 19... We see another interaction, a miraculous interaction. It says, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. An angel again. How rare is that? God is speaking. He's giving a message to Joseph again. Joseph is in Egypt now. He's there with Mary and, and the child Jesus. And he tells them now the threat is over. You can come back into uh, Israel. He says, rise, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. <laughs> Herod is dead. He's no longer a threat to Jesus. But as Mary and Joseph come into Israel, it says Joseph is a little nervous. It says, verse 22, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah, Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, again, another message from God, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Why the little area of Galilee? Again, to fulfill the scripture, it seems like just a small point, but God is showing even the little details are all part of his purpose and all part of his plan, and he will complete his promise. In other words, there is no threat from a king. There is no edict that can happen. There is no power on earth that can take down God's plan. He is absolutely going to complete his plan. Here you have a little helpless baby, a mother, and, 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 and Joseph as a husband, who are very, really, in the, in the scheme of things, insignificant. There's, they can't fight against an army coming against them. Uh, they don't have intelligence to tell them all that's going on when they know when to flee and when to come back. But God intervenes in their situation, gives them everything that they need in terms of info and timing, and brings about, you know, when, when they first left from Bethlehem, 
they could have thought, Egypt? No, let's go over here. No, they went to Egypt so that it will be said, out of Egypt, I have called my son. By the way, that's a reference also to God in the Exodus, bringing his people out of there. And he's saying, my deliverer is going to come out of Egypt as well. And that, that's another tie between Moses as a type of Christ and Jesus himself. But Moses was not Christ. He was not the one that can pull off what Jesus was going to pull off to die and pay for the sins of his people. We, as we went through the book of, of Exodus, we, we remarked several times that God says, I'm going to destroy my people because of their sin. Moses would step in and intervene and intercede for the people. But as he interceded, he was a type of Christ. He wasn't able to pull off. What Christ was able to pull off. Moses, in essence, was, was, was talking to God and said, God, please don't do this. And, and remember, you promised that, that you were going to raise up a nation. And, 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 and really, just to, to, just to pacify Moses, God said, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's interesting what God said. You know, I can destroy this whole people and raise up a nation from you. In other words, Israel as a nation is, 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 is really by themselves is not the key to my promise because you are part of Israel and I can still keep my promise and raise them up by you. So as an interceder, what else can Moses say? Uh, uh, well, well, well uh, uh, God, don't do that. No. God said, I can do what I want and still keep my promise. Jesus fulfills God's promise exactly and precisely. In other words, Moses is no Jesus. He's a great leader, but he's no Jesus. There was coming one that will fulfill all of God's promise, and he, like Moses, was coming out of Egypt. Wasn't born in Egypt, traveled down to Egypt because of stress and duress and a threat to his life, and now comes up out of Egypt to rescue his people. So God, in a, in a warning, says to Joseph, hey, the king is dead. Bring the child back. But as they make their way back, he says, well, you know, the king's son, he's still wicked. Um, I'm not really comfortable going there. God warns him in a dream again and says, it says, so he withdrew to the district of Galilee. What's important about that? He went and lived in a city called Nazareth. It was fulfilled that he would be called, this Jesus would be called a Nazarene, one coming out of Nazareth. If you read the, uh, I know our Sunday school is going through John in this chapter one. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think it was Nathaniel who said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth, right? How is that to happen? God is fulfilling the very specifics of his word in Jesus. Let's make some, some application for us today. Let's make some application. God is determined to show us that he has the will and the power to keep his promise. That's an amazing thing. He has the will and the power to keep his promise. You know, God doesn't have to make any promises, but he makes them. And he has the will and the power to keep them. What he's saying is, this purpose and this plan that I have is all wrapped up in my son, Jesus, and I'm going to fulfill that. He's also going to bring to Jesus all that he desires. 
He's going to save those who he has called to himself, every last one. He brought you here today to hear his word. There's no mistakes or coincidences with God. He is speaking to your heart today and say, I've lined it all up. Come and get it. I'm calling you to myself. I am going to fulfill my every promise through my son, Jesus. He's saying you must come through him. And I've lined it up so that you can hear, so that you can receive, and so that you can be saved and you can walk in the power and the forgiveness that my son provides. As a young man, even as a young boy, my father was a pastor, and I often would sit in the pew right where you are today, and I just think, well, God, if you really want me to believe this, make a miracle happen. And I would be thinking this, we're like, God, if a miracle happened, then I would believe, and everybody else would believe. And I'd be thinking, well, maybe you're going to make the building lift up and twirl around in a circle. And everybody be like, whoa, God has spoken. All the time God was saying, have you looked? I've done miracle after miracle and after miracle. And I'll be thinking, well, God, well, yeah, 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 that's cool. But that was way back then. God is still doing miracle after miracle, after miracle, right now. I said to the men last night, you're here. And I say to you today, you are here. God didn't have to have it that you would be here. What are you here for? To hear God's word with an opportunity for you to respond according to God's will, to respond to his truth, and to take with you the benefits of God's promise. That's how he does his miracle. It's a miracle for you to be here to hear the word of God and have the opportunity given, extended to you by God to respond to his truth. Now you can walk away from that and say, that ain't nothing. I get that all the time. But I guarantee you will stand before God and give account for how he's going to remind you. He's going to play the tape back and say, look, I spoke to you through my word, through my people on this day. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting for? Matthew was just an ordinary man. But God had put on him the responsibility to communicate his truth. And as he communicates it here, it's overwhelming to me, and I'm sure it was to him as he wrote it, how many things God has done to bring this picket, picture, this package together so that we might come to know Christ. God has given it for the believers, to know that God has indeed worked in their life. Don't take this for granted. He's given it to unbelievers that he's calling to himself to show that it's God's working. 
It's not an accident. It's not coincidence. You see, me as a little boy saying, God, you need to do this to prove in a miracle is me putting myself in the place of God telling him what to do. Instead of God says, no, you're going to come to me by faith. And I'm going to convince you through my Holy Spirit by faith. Now, are you going to, to have all knowledge? Are you going to, to? No. You're simply going to believe the truth that God has said. There's one reason why you don't believe it. If you don't believe it, it's not because it's not credible. It's not because it's not evidence. It's because you refuse to believe God. That's the simple truth. And you must live, or should I say die, with that. You refuse to believe God. Jesus said in John chapter 6, there's none who come to him who will be cast out. None. Absolutely none. If you are a believer, say, God, thank you for your truth. Settle my heart in your truth. And thank you for calling me to yourself. <laughs> You've taken the veil off my eyes so that I can see. And still, my vision is limited, but what I see, I see enough. Help me to see more and more to keep me hopeful, to keep me encouraged, to keep me motivated in obeying you. The more you look at God and God's truth, the more challenged and motivated you will be. The other option is to turn away from God's truth and ignore it and to discount it at your own peril. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you moved in a writer to write, to, to lay down the evidence, to show how you have worked throughout time to bring about your son for your purpose of dying on the cross to pay for our sin. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that convinces us of this truth. And we thank you for those who are convinced. We thank you for those who you are convincing right now. We pray for a response of faithfulness by both. That we might see, that we might believe. But it doesn't come in that order. <laughs> we can see because we believe. Because you've opened our eyes to see the evidence, to see the truth. And yet you give evidence so that there'd be no excuse for us not to accept your truth. Impress on hearts today, Lord, to be convinced in your truth, unshaken in your promise, and unwavering in our faith in you. Strengthen our hearts, Lord, in your truth and in your word, in you and what you've promised to do. Help us to serve you. with that faith. Help us to commit to you. Help us to realize, Lord, you are the one who rewards those who diligently seek you. 
You are the one who punishes those who turn away from your truth. Speak to the hearts of your people today to draw us to obedience and continued repentance. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.